This is the Ether Review, a talk show passing the components of the Ethereum global computing platform and its ecosystem. Building on a basic knowledge of the blockchain, we seek to understand the mechanics behind this new generation computing network and the services it powers. Some of the discussions featured on this show are technical, while others are higher level. I'm Arthur Falls. Today, Tony Sarkic and Joey Krug of the Auger Project join Jared Hope and myself to discuss the decentralized prediction market and the challenges of marketing in the DAP sphere. How's it going, Tony? Would you mind uh, filling us in on your background in Bitcoin and how you got involved with Auger? Sure. Um, I originally, I'm actually worked in music. I worked at a record store doing stuff stuff like DJs, electronic music, that kind of thing. Worked for a record label. Um, kind of saw what happened with technology and music. It was pretty clear, and it was pretty clear the, the musician business heads were really just sticking their heads in the sand. They 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 never really had any good ideas, and the few that that did happen um, really ended up being what we see today. You know, the, the Spotify's and the, and the iTunes, um, but. You know, when you kind of see that reaction and you see it happening in another industry and technology is coming out that can change it, um, it really makes it makes it very, uh, I don't know, very uh, just 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 something where you look at it and you see it, you go, okay, these look exactly the same. Why do they look the same? Why do they look different? Um, and pretty much right from there, what happened was uh, it, it dawned on me. And, you know, in Detroit, there's not exactly a ton of, uh, uh, at the time, I was the Bitcoin scene pretty much in Detroit. Uh, I didn't know anyone who knew anything about it. Um, so I had to figure it out all on my own. I'm not a developer, so I had to figure it out and in an era where it wasn't as easy as it is now. Um, I'm not saying it was super hard, but it wasn't, it wasn't, e- it wasn't easy. And um, yeah, that, that kind of happened. I had it listed on my LinkedIn profile. A recruiter from BitPay contacted me, gave me uh, pretty much everything I wanted, moved me to uh Atlanta, where, where I'm at now, and then from there, um, had a great year with BitPay. Did all kinds of firsts. Um, I only handled, handled the digital marketing end, not that I did not handle any of the sponsorships or conferences or anything like that. Um, from there, uh, you know, Augur, a couple of people from Augur uh, started pursuing me, and uh, I, I it took me a while to put my head wrap my head around it. Um, and as soon as I did, I was like, this is a cool idea. I really like the people involved. Uh, the leadership's great. I think I think it, everything in that end was really nice, and uh, it just seemed to have its stuff together, and it was a unique enough project where I could see success in it. And 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 I like hard things to market. Like there there, it's 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 easy to sell Coke. It's easy to sell um, you know Walmart, or it's easy to sell McDonald's, and well, maybe not for them anymore. But uh, and uh, it, it, but it's something like this is not an easy sell. So. How how do you explain what it is and then make people want to be interested? And we're we're playing that path right now, and it's we've segmented it into different into different parts. So the first part of the marketing plan was toward the crowd sale. The the next part right now is folks focusing squarely on development. So, so better than selling sugared water, right? Yeah, I guess I don't know. I like I like soda. Uh, people like soda. A lot of people like soda. I I, I you know what I, that quote always bothered me because I think that's kind of a it's kind of like, do you want to change the world? Like whenever I would hear that, it's one of the things I don't like about Steve Jobs or quotes like that. Because what's wrong with wanting to sell sugar water? Like I really like soda. I really do like soda, and I even like like the boutique courtesy cola sodas. 
So I, I, I kind of think of that as like a, this this classist thing. That I'm just this is me going off on a rant, but but this is, a, this is what it's meant for, yeah, right? Totally. And it's just that kind of mindset. Yeah. No, you know, we 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 want to do Augur, and it's uh, it's a ridiculously crazy, cool, interesting idea. But also, you know, th- there's things in my life that I that I think need to exist too that may may not necessarily be as interesting as Augur. Let me put it that way. <laughs> fair, fair enough. Hey, uh, hey, Joey. I, I just, oh, sorry, sorry, Jared. No, go for it. Hey, Joey, you there? Yeah. How you guys doing? Good. And yourself? Pretty good. So, uh, so what's your uh, what's your background in uh, Bitcoin, and how did you get into uh, how did you get involved with Orgo, Joey? Um, so, so in Bitcoin, I I <clears throat> mined it a bit in 2011. Um, so I I started mining with like back with GPU mining. And then I didn't mind very long, though, only like two weeks because I quit once I only got a Bitcoin a day because um, that was only like that was only like five bucks at the time. Um, <clears throat> and then I just kind of held on to the Bitcoin. And I didn't sell them, uh, but I just kind of I checked in on the community in every few months, but I didn't really it wasn't like something I did like every day um, until like maybe 2013 or so. Um, and then 2013, I decided to um, build an Android Bitcoin point of sale. Um, so basically, an Android app that allowed you to, you know, accept Bitcoin in the store. Because um, I didn't really like QR codes. Um, I figured it should just be wireless and relatively automatic. So I, I made um, a Bluetooth low energy, um, basically, way to accept Bitcoin payments. Uh, but then I kind of shelved that to work on to work on Augur. Um, and the way that kind of came about is... Um, Basically, this is in like June or July of uh, 2014. Um, Jack and one of his partners, who's who's no longer with the team anymore, uh, basically approached me and asked if I was interested in working on their project. And, and back then, it was like it was like an altcoin betting site, and I kind of thought it was stupid, so I I said no. Um, and then they called me again in two months, back in August 2014, and said they'd switched to prediction markets. And so I looked into that and decided it was really cool and, and joined the team then. So what makes prediction awesome. markets cool? Um, so prediction markets are cool because, <clears throat> well, for the first time, they kind of allow for, so, so in economics, there's this thing called complete markets. And essentially, it's the idea that um, <clears throat> you can have a marketplace where you can represent uh, the ability to speculate on anything you want directly. And uh, prediction markets allow that for the first time. And with Augur uh, or decentralized prediction markets in general, they allow you to do, to do that in a global fashion uh, where it can't really be censored. And so it's, it's basically the idea of, so one, you actually get really good estimates for the likelihood of events to occur. So it's a very good predictive tool. And then two, it's, it's really good for basically speculating in a market or, or hedging on something. Yeah. Actually, I was looking at the prediction markets before. There hasn't been that many actually implemented, right? Uh, so there's been one, but it wasn't it wasn't like so I'm talking about you know a market that allows you to speculate on anything, and um, there's been one before called Intrade, um, but it was it was mainly like political elections and um, they also had some other things on there, but political elections was their main thing. So why did you ch- um, so why have why isn't this something that we've seen other teams produce? I mean, if, it sounds like there's a uh, there's a real identified need for it. There's a job to be done there. Yeah, so I mean, there's other people working on it, right? Like you have like um, Gnosis is a, is a team at, at Consensus or whatever that's, that's working on prediction markets. 
Um, they just do it a bit, a bit differently than us. Um, but, but the reason you haven't really seen any of this until like, you know, as of uh, with us a year ago and with, with Gnosis, you know, it's a few months ago, um, is for one, the, the technology really hasn't been there to do it. Um, you can't really build an effective one on Bitcoin while, while maintaining decentralization at the same time. Uh, you really need some sort of smart contracting platform, kind of like Ethereum. Um, so that, that's kind of why it's basically ha- hasn't really happened um, in practice. What's the need for it to be uh, a decentralized um, or self-sovereign platform like, uh, like one that was built on Ethereum or Bitcoin? Um, so there's really two, two main aspects here. Um, one is that basically you don't want to have centralized custody of funds. Um, so if you look at something like Intrade, which, which doesn't exist anymore, but they held the funds and so actually they had some problems with like actual like embezzlement at the company, um, later on in, in the company's life. And so that's like one of the things you, you know, you obviously don't want to even be possible. Um, and with something like Ethereum, you can just avoid that entirely. Um, it also gets rid of counterparty risks. So, you know, I know that the person on the other side is going to follow through because Ethereum basically forces them to, um, essentially, you know, you have to put your money up, up front. Um, and so that, that's, you know, probably the main thing. Um, the other nice benefit of decentralization is it, um, so if, if you had, you know, a centralized platform, decentralization kind of allows you to, to push off a, a bit of the regulatory risk um, onto the user, specifically the market makers. Um, so if we had a centralized platform and we just made every single market on the platform, um, we basically have to get licenses for that in every jurisdiction we marketed them to. Um, and whereas if you, if you push it off to the user, you can have users who, you know, for the UK, they may make markets on, you know, sports betting because it's it's relatively easy to get a gambling license in the UK. Um, and we don't have to do that. And then, uh, you know, other places where, cer- where certain markets may, may be illegal, um, people in those places can make those markets instead of instead of basically us doing it. Okay, this sounds. Um, this brings to mind a discussion I had with uh, Joseph Lubin a while ago, where he we were talking about how um, this represents a free market alternative to the centralized intermediary that we're used to for for things like this, and exactly like the earlier prediction market attempt that was centralized that you mentioned. Um, so that's uh, that's pretty cool. So w- where's the name come from? Um, so the the name basically. Um so Jeremy essentially came up with a list of uh, a bunch of names and other people on the team had names too. Um, but Augur was one I didn't really like because so I'm from the Midwest. And so if you know the, you know, the word Augur, A-U-G-E-R, it means basically a drilling tool. Um, yeah. so I, th- I thought people would associate it with that. Some people do. Um, yeah, I did. I-, I thought that's what it was all about. That's why there's that twirly thing in the, uh, in the logo. Isn't um, it? no, that's not the reason, but, but, uh, that's, that's an interesting idea. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, so basically what we did was we just kind of like, you know, kind of AB tested all of our, our names in, in to see if anything stuck out. And, uh, Augur really did essentially it, it, it blew the other names out of the water. Um, so we, we just went with that. Because there was a uh, there was a journalist who had that as a pen name, I think, at some stage. Oh, really? I think anyway. 
Huh. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was that might have been the real reference. Okay, so you guys raised a ton of money in your recent crowd sale. How much was that? Um I believe I, the final amount in, in, in millions was five point one three three, but Joey ha- might have a, a, a more updated than that because it's in crypto, so there's always conversions and that makes it yeah. trick I, that means I never really have an answer for this question. But go ahead, Joey. Yeah, so I mean like <clears throat> let's see. So yeah, it's it's that on paper, but then you have like so we hedged a lot of our Bitcoin. Um, basically, you know, this is one of those things that it's it's basically like a good idea to do so you don't lose a bunch of money if the price drops. Unfortunately, the price went up a bunch uh, before, before our sale ended. But um, yeah, so we lost some money on the hedge basically because we hedged at like two thirteen or something. Um, and so yeah, so so we kind of lost like I think we lost around the neighborhood of like of like five hundred thousand on on the Bitcoin. Um, and then on the ether, we, we've been selling some of the ether. We we are we've lost a tiny bit. I think we're on our own, like or compared to the Bitcoin anyway. We've lost we lost around like twenty thousand on the ether. Um, so that's you know a much better situation than where we are with the Bitcoin. So how much we've raised total is I guess actually like around four point six or so. If you if you take all the currency risk out of the situation, good pile of clams. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> So what are you guys what are you guys doing with that? Like what are you guys doing right now um to uh to develop the platform and um and what are your plans to you know, how have you earmarked that money for future expenditure? I think and this is something where I want to where I want to make a statement too because here's here, with, with one of the first things I did was I'm now a reduced role. I'm part-time at Augur. I'm no longer full-time. Um which is cool. I could take on other projects, but it's also because Augur doesn't need mar- much marketing during this development process. We need to make sure that people are trying the bad, trying the, the the alpha and the beta, and you know just really getting that in get that information out there and, and minor updates, you know, to the community, mostly the developer community. Um, so that's the first thing is actually I've cut back. It's it, a lot of people I think you know, oh, crowd sale money, we, we have more money now. Let's do this. Like no, let's get we, let's cut, kept, catch back up from a, a few of the early investors and then see where things are going. And that's where I'm sure what Joe, Joey will end too. I just like to use myself as a personal example because. It's we're hoping to learn the lessons that a lot of these projects have that, that where they've you know not failed but faulted. We want to we wanted to learn a little bit of what they did that they didn't do that we needed to do, and you know just to make everything better, really. And it's it's pretty common sense, and it's, so far it's working pretty well. So go ahead, Joey. Didn't mean to interrupt. Yeah, I was just gonna say we um, on the development side, we're look, we're looking to basically hire <clears throat> um, one or two people for the back end, and then. One or two probably probably one for the front end um, maybe two um so basically to you know <clears throat> so the back end just has like it needs some work around like, surrounding like the market scoring role so like it needs limit orders added um so that's kind of like it's actually pretty hard to add limit orders um so anyway we're, we're kind of hiring to basically two people part-time i think um pending everything goes through you know um for the back end and then uh, we haven't we haven't decided on a on who for the front end yet and then the other, <clears throat> the other thing that, of course, eats up a, a decent chunk of money is like legal expenses. Um, so, basically, there's really two uh, main legal concerns you have with a project like this. One is in the United States, um, you have the Commodities Futures Trading Commission, which which regulates prediction markets. Um, and in the EU, um, you basically just have well, you have financial regulation um, and you have gambling law. And the people we've talked to in the EU say that 
you don't really apply under the financial regulation and we'd only apply under the gambling law if we actually made markets. Um, so that's like a pretty good response. That's, that's what you'd expect. Or that's what we, we expected, you know? But of course, regulators can always be iffy. Um, and then in the U.S., <laughs> and in the, in the U.S., um, we've really kind of barely begun uh, conversations with the CFTC. Um, but we basically, are basically, you know, our, our kind of strategy there is to just introduce them to the idea, um, kind of explain how it works so they, so they don't approach it um, like a traditional centralized prediction market because the, the regulatory model for that is just, well, for one, it's partly irrelevant because a lot of the laws are set up to deal with counterparty risk and the risk of holding funds. Um, it's like if you look at the reason some of these laws are written, they're just, it's just not applicable anymore. Um, so you, they kind of have, they'd have to approach it with an, an entirely new kind of regulatory approach. Um, <clears throat> I hope so. I mean, it's like, that's kind of what, what, what our goal is and, you know, you know, kind of going to them relatively openly and just, and just kind of explaining how things work to them. Um, I think, I think at some point they'll eventually have to, um, approach it with a different, a different, you know, way of looking at things because basically decentralized prediction markets are kind of too, uh, software like in trade as BitTorrent is to say like Napster. And so you, you really can't regulate them both in the same way because Napster, for instance, had a central server where everything was routed through that you could just shut down and then that Napster was done. Um, whereas BitTorrent, it's a huge community of people sh of sharing files. So when you look at how BitTorrent's been regulated, they really kind of, they approach like the, the big torrent sites. Um, and then if you're like, personally uploading a ton of data so like if you download a game of thrones and then just seeded it for weeks um you know your isp would probably give you an email um <laughs> and then if you if you continue to do that you'd probably eventually get shut off or, or something like that um and so that's kind of how i think they'll have to approach it for for market makers themselves so like i find it super diff like it's a really interesting topic that like how regulations are going to work in the future because Essentially, if like once a smart contract is operational on the blockchain or in Ethereum, like there's very little that they could really do, right? Right. I mean, so like the the most that you could do is basically, so like whatever happens, they're not going to go after like the, the individual traders um, because like under U.S. law, they're actually like no matter how anything gets interpreted, uh, the traders themselves wouldn't be breaking any laws. Um, basically do the way things are set up. So if you look at like, um, if you look at the website like Bovada, which is like a clearly illegal gambling website, um, the traders themselves aren't, aren't breaking any laws there. So, so they'll never be basically messed with. Um, the people who, who kind of really are, have the highest risk here are probably the market makers. And in my opinion, not really the small ones. Like if you're putting up 50 bucks on a, you know, presidential election or on a sports match, like first of all, the Commodities Futures Trading Commission doesn't really care because it's going to cost more to enforce any action against you than your $50 than any profit you could get off of it. Um, but if you're making, you know, a market with $500,000, um, then it becomes the point where, yeah, you're doing it on Ethereum. Um, but to either get the money in or get the money out, um, you're relatively easily identifiable. Um, so then that's, that's kind of the point where, where the regulators could jump in, I guess, is, is for large markets like that. Tony, Tony, you mentioned before that there was some lessons learned that 
Could you like go into that in more detail? Like I'm sure there's probably some wisdom that you can impart upon future DAP developers perhaps. Absolutely. And, and you know what, a lot of it is to do with marketing because I, because I don't really claim to say a lot about uh, development at all because other than is your idea good? Do do you have a plan? Is your idea good? Um, But what I can say is, um, the, this idea that marketing is, you know, spend, 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 get your idea seen, get your idea seen, is 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 bad. Um, it, it, what it's leading to is it's leading, especially in the Bitcoin community, because it's so insular, it's leading to everyone knowing everyone, everyone knowing everyone's project, but the project not really getting seen by new eyes, right? It's the same VCs that invest in all of the Bitcoin-related uh, projects. You know, they're the ones that everyone goes to. Um they're the ones that are known. And, 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 and this is not like breaking news. This is just something I've noticed. So if I go a minute here, I apologize. Um, and then so you see that and you go, okay, well, th- well, that's that route and that's how they get that funding. Okay, cool. However they get their funding, they get their funding. That's good. They, we want these projects funded. So um, that goes on. And then this money, this money is theirs and they go, okay, we have $5 million. We, like Augur, we have $5 million to spend right now. The, the reactions I would get are like, well, what are you going to do? You're going to get a ping pong table? Like, like, no, 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 no. We're going to, we're going to save every penny we can. We're, we're putting it into the foundation to make sure that this gets developed because that's the product. That's the most important thing. Um, marketing is going to be down to a trickle. We need to market to developers. We need to market to, in, to, to, you know, people interested. It needs to be there, but it doesn't need to be high profile. It's not like crowd sale where we were really trying to push hard. Um, we, we want every dollar that's spent to have to, I don't really care as much about return on investment as I care about return on the goal. The goal being, okay, we want our crowd sale to do as well as possible in a bear market. What tools do we have? What can we use? How can we use them effectively? Um, the video helped us a lot. Uh, getting into contests and, and you know, startups, the, the, one that, the, the one that I was heavily pushing us on was the... Um, Exponential finance, because the audience was very, very affluent in it. It meant something. We weren't just another project that's asking for money. Because um, when I started and I heard the crowd sale thing at Augur, I go, oh, it's, a, it's a crowd sale? Like, well, um, like, let, let, let me learn more. And then I did learn more. And I go, okay, well, I, I get it then. I, okay, I get it. And this, this, could, this is one of them that's legitimate. And that, that's something too. And then all the the pieces came together really well, really well right right there. But it, the, this is not this is a little off topic. I do apologize. It, other mistakes they made. Um, I my previous employer BitPay. Um, our our best, uh, our our highest. Uh, I don't know what you want to call it. Like attention grabbing moments <laughs> where we were where we were viewed as the market leader were were not sponsorships. They were not things that we spent money on other than sources and cap and human capital and to integrate with a large with a large uh, you know a client merchant whatever you want to say you know Microsoft global payments uh, Warner Brothers PayPal those kinds of things Th- those are that's marketing right and I think coinbase personally does a great job at marketing and that's because they're very light on it they don't they they they're they you know they don't push themselves super hard everything's interesting I I, I do admire what they do a lot um, and and I guess with Augur, what we're saying is that, you know, the Ethereum thing, I mean, it's, it's out there and it's public and it sucks, but, you know, here's this project that raised all this money. Um, it, it doesn't have as much as it thought. And it, it's, it's, the team is huge. I, 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 I really do. I, I, I've hardly talked to Vitalik, but I always feel bad for him because I go, 
you know, I'm 31 and I can't handle, I could not handle what he's dealing with. And, and, and I, he's, I think he's doing an exceptional job too. But, uh, you know, what we're seeing is we're going, okay, well, what can we do to make sure that doesn't happen to us? Um, you know, it started with me. I was, I actually was under the impression I would be off of the auger team October 1st. I would still be associated as an advisor, but I would have not get a paycheck. Um, they asked me on, they said, you know, you know, we do want some, we don't, I can't, we can't afford, you know, a full time. And I'm like, that's, that's, that's actually more than fair. I'm like, I get that. They, you know, so I'm still affiliated. I still do interviews. That's smart spending. That's smart how to run a business. Because you don't know how long it's going to take because it's software. Those are the things that we learned. We learned we don't need a marketing guy for the next few months. It, it's, you need me to just maintain, do interviews like this, and that's it. So, so what happens is, is that smart. And then like the hedging, the Bitcoin, hedging on the Bitcoin. Yeah, we lost on that. Smart thing to do. Doesn't matter that we lost on that. We can't change that. But what we can do is say we did the right thing. And it was the right thing for the business. And, you know, it it that that shows so i I really trust joey and jack really with a lot of these decisions they are they're very very sharp when it comes to it so i I always provide my input and vote and you know i I have my vote and i always say here this is what i think but they in the for the most part they make the the proper right decisions analyzing other situations other similar uh, scenarios and coming to a conclusion yeah, that's a it's it's a tough that's a tough tough uh, break on on hedging against um, against Bitcoin, but I suppose you got to do it, don't you? I mean, you never know what's going to happen. It's it's running a business. It's not you know it's running a business, and it's it's yeah. you know making sure that the money that you know your supporters have have you know I want to say given because they haven't given it to us, but that are in, that are invested in our project in a way in, in multiple ways really. Is, is used properly for the project to succeed and for the project to continue su- to succeed because that's what it's there for. It's, ma- it's ma- managing those funds in the best way possible. And if you lose a little bit of money doing it, um, as long as the intention was good and the intention was smart, uh, most most like intelligent investors will say, okay, they did the right thing. Maybe they, they could have been a little better off, but that's you know investing. It's trading. Um, so what is what is the roadmap that you guys are looking at? How long is uh, how long is the runway that um, that you guys are anticipating? Um, probably around like around four years to finish pro- finish product, or do you have a um... no? Just just that's just the runway. Okay, yeah. um, so like t- the actual time remaining to get you know version one out there uh, really depends on like security audits. Um, <clears throat> so. That we have like we're aiming to get some sort of beta around Christmas. Um, and that's mainly UI um, because the, the stuff that the beta needs is mostly implemented in the back end already. Um, <clears throat> on the back end side of things, we're basically implementing stuff to allow the system to scale, um, which involves rewriting a lot of code. And probably about like halfway through that, I would I would estimate. Um, <clears throat> and so. Once we finish that, then on the back end, it really becomes a matter of having it audited, um, having the code be reviewed by, you know, basically experts um, who can try to find any, you know, security flaws that we've basically made, like any bugs we've made or something. Um, and then once there's, once it's, you know, relatively certain there's no main security flaws in the logic, then we'd probably continue running the beta for a few months um, just, you know, to make sure nobody else happens to find one. And then... Um, <clears throat> As far as like the launch process, 
Um, we could just flip the switch and go like, you know, full real money. I think the smarter thing to do would probably be to say like, flip the switch and then say like, um, we're going to go, you know, with like a limit of like maybe 20 bucks or something for like the first month or two. I don't know. I haven't really talked about that with the rest of the team, but I think it seems something smart. So in case something does go wrong, you know, in, in live production, we can, you don't lose a ton of money. Um, cause you don't want somebody to put like, you know, a million dollars down and then there'd be a flaw that wasn't discovered in the security audits. Yeah, that would really suck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah, that would be what, number 50, wouldn't it? <laughs> um, cool. Well, I guess let's get into, um, is there, what, what's the history behind this idea? The idea of a prediction market, right? Like, you know, this obviously, this is something that has been, uh, that has been relatively well thought of what, um, relatively well studied. Um, what kind of, uh, who are the people who have worked on the, this kind of problem and, uh, and kind of laid the found the theoretical foundation for prediction markets like Augur? So there's actually, there's one that's on, one of our advisor. His name is uh, Robin Hansen. And, and I'll let Joey go into more. Joey's done much more research than myself, but I have had the, for, the, the fortune to, to, to have a lot of conversations with Robin. Um, he's, had a lot of these thoughts, a lot of these ideas. He's skeptical, but he's interested in every project. Like if, if you're doing a project, he's going to want to talk to you. Um, he's a, an economist from uh, George Mason University, and we've had the chance to have him at our, as an advisor on our board. And it, that's been great for me because I'm, you know, I, I know a little bit about this, a little bit. I'm, I know more about crypto. And so getting, for me, getting to know him a little bit really was sitting under the learning tree and catching a few things that I didn't know. And, and he's the one that I always like to talk about. And then I always hope to go right to Joey because Joey's been following this and, and has read a lot more materials than I have. I will, I will definitely say that. Yeah, so the original idea came about, um, so Frederick Hayek kind of briefly specked out this idea of like knowledge marketplaces in, in his essay, Knowledge and Society, uh, like decades ago. And then Hansen basically independently, Hansen basically invented the, the idea like in practice. He he um, really fully fleshed it out because um, he came up with like this idea of futurarchy for basically making decisions, um, like governmental decisions, you know, via prediction markets. And then he also invented the first um, automated market maker, um, which is a tool that ten- tends to be associated with prediction markets because it's, it's a way that kind of maintains a few, a few uh, invariants that you kind of want. Uh, which is which is like in a regular market, you know, your odds may be there may be a spread. Um, so, like if it's an election for some random country that most people aren't speculating on, the spread could be like 40, 40 70, and that doesn't really give you a good estimate. Um, so, market scoring rules kind of force a good estimate because they basically have no spread mathematically. Um, and so, Hansen invented the first one of those, and then you have uh, a guy named Abe Othman, who's also one of our advisors, who invented a modification to Hansen's rule that allows it to scale with liquidity. Um, so by that, I mean, with Hansen, you may have had a market with $100 on one side, $100 on another, and I put 20 bucks on side A, and then the odds of A go to like 99, um, which isn't how like any real market works. Um, and so with, with A Bothman's idea, um, you put 20 bucks additional on A, and the odds are, you know, maybe 55, 45, or something like that, which, which makes sense. And then, um, 
you also have like research by people like Yiling Chen out of, out at Harvard, um, who basically look into the ideas of basically you know kind of how markets work, and she's done a lot of work basically tying how prediction markets work to basically underlying concepts of machine learning and how they're kind of basically the same mathematically. And then um, on so that's like on the market maker prediction market side, um, on like the actual event resolution side. Um, you know, so how do you get, get the outcome of an event? Um, there's really two people who kind of, kind of, um, him with the core initial ideas for that. So you have, uh, a Paul Stork at the, the Juice Coin Project who basically came up with the idea of, um, so actually, so actually, okay, so you have Vitalik who came up with the idea of shelling coin, um, which is basically a bonded system to basically get real information into the blockchain. Um, Paul Stork basically came up with the idea that said instead of just using, like regular currency for this, for this coin, um, it should be something with like limited supply um, that's, that's separate from any other currency. Uh, so that was basically the idea of you know reputation, a, a different token. And uh, the reason that's significant is, so let's say we have a market and I want to manipulate it um, with ether. Anybody who's an ether holder could basically this is a shelling coin idea anybody could report um and, and put how much how much ether behind it they want um so there's no way to know really ahead of time what the total amount of ether that's going to be behind a given market is so if i'm a whale i can just buy up a bunch of ether and this is provided if ether actually had like a, a, a liquid you know market um i could use it on say auger um <clears throat> and basically wait a report and kind of screw the system over by manipulating reality now, with Augur, if I want to do that, um, since it has this idea for a limited supply token that's separate from the regular cash, um, basically to do that, you'd have to buy up the token, which would, would inflate the price. And at the same time, you also know what the maximum amount of reps that's going to be reported on any given event is. Um, whereas with you had a system like Shelling Coin, you wouldn't know that because the amount of people who hold Ether who are participating in Augur could vary by any given amount. And any given whale could jump in and swamp them all out. Um, whereas with Augur, you, you kind of have these, these invariants that you know ahead of time. So those are, those are the, the main people I see kind of in the, in the field who have led to uh, kind of what we have now. So could you explain this token, the, the reputation token? Because I remember when the crowd sale went live, I mean, I, to be honest, I didn't fully understand what the token represented. Um, could you explain what the, what the full function of the, of the reputation token on, on Augur is? Yeah, so basically what, what the idea is, so on a prediction market, you basically have to resolve the event. So by that, I mean, you know, if it's an election on, if it's Bernie Sanders versus Hillary Clinton for the Democratic primary, um, assuming Hillary wins the primary, at the end of it, um, you're basically going to have to pay out to people who won to pay out to people who bought Hillary shares and take the money away from people who, who bought Bernie Sanders shares. And so there's a couple ways to do that. One is to just say, well, um, we'll have one person decide that. And that's kind of the, the model in-trade took. And the problem with that is, is it's really adds a central point of failure because that person can manipulate reality if they so choose uh, to make basically a huge profit um, by buying up a bunch of Bernie Sanders shares and then reporting that he won. So, so what we, we do is we say, well, 
Um, let's distribute that amongst a bunch of people. And so when you have this, you say, well, okay, here's the first problem. If we give each person one vote and anybody can sign up to make an account, um, you have a problem with civil attacks. So basically, I can make 100,000 accounts, and, and then again, I can skew the truth. Um, and so the solution to this is to make, make it so, basically, instead of being able to freely make accounts, um, the accounts are weighted by something that's worth some amount of value. Um, and so that's basically some sort of crypto economic token. And the reason for making it, you know, separate from just using, say, Ether as the weight is not all Ether is guaranteed to be used in, in Augur's prediction markets uh, to resolve events. And that's, some, that's a very important property that, that you want. Um, <clears throat> so, so you can actually reason about the security model. Because um, if, you, if you don't, then any security model things you, you basically analyze are just kind of all outweighed by well, but one Ether whale can come in and, and screw the whole system. So that's, that's the idea behind a one token. As for how the token kind of works. I, I, yeah. okay, yeah. yeah. Carry, carry on. <laughs> I just had a moment of epiphany there. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so like, that's, that's like one of the big things. People are like, why don't you just weight it by Bitcoin or Ether or whatever? And that, that's the reason. Um, and then how it actually kind of works in the system is, so let's see. I'll give you the latest, latest version of how it works with, with, with stuff that actually scales. So if you have a given amount of rep, you're randomly selected to report on events, um, basically based on how much rep you have. And so you'll get randomly selected to report on, say, 100 events. Um, and so then you basically report on those, and a few things happen. Um, one is at the end of it, you'll get trading fees from basically whatever fraction of rep you own times all the volume in the system. Um, it's not done on a per event basis because one, it's actually more computationally intensive to do it that way. And two, um, there'd be so much variance, you know, cause like it's, it's not really, you know, your fault if you don't get selected to report on a high volume market, um, or, and you know, we don't want it to really be based on luck. Um, and so, so that kind of makes things more fair for the rep holders is you get fees based on what percent of rep you have. And then the other thing that happens is, so let's say on one of these given markets, um, the majority of people say Hillary won. You say Bernie won. So what happened is you'd lose some reputation basically basically due to that. Um, and that's done all on a per-market basis. So if on another market, it's on Trump and Marco Rubio, and uh, you say Trump won, but Rubio won, then you're, you're going to lose reputation as well. And that's kind of an incentive to keep people honest. Um, and then so... There's a couple other things. There's, there's a couple of backstops, I guess, that kind of we're really getting into how the reputation system works here. Um, so <clears throat> there's this randomized selection that I talked about. And <clears throat> if the randomized selection fails, so let's say the system says that um, Bernie Sanders won, but in real life, uh, Hillary Clinton did. So the backstop is then to have everyone report on that event. Um, and that basically jumps back to, to a stronger security model because you're not just having a randomized selection of people report, you're having everyone in the entire system. Um, <clears throat> now, if that fails, you can do something that's kind of interesting, which is to basically say, well, um, I will pay a fee, and I'm just going to fork the entire rep system um, over, this, over this event. And so you basically have same thing in a Bitcoin fork. You'll have two sets of Bitcoin, or in this case, two sets of rep. And the idea is that the market would assign a higher value to whatever happened in real life. Um, you know, provided markets are somewhat rational, 
uh, which this whole project kind of relies on anyway, um, they have some degree of efficiency. Um, basically, the market would assign a higher value to the rep in which Hillary Clinton won, a lower value to the one in which Bernie Sanders won. And eventually it'd go so the Hillary Clinton rep had all the value and the Bernie Sanders one had zero. And, um, and the, that's kind of how you your final security backstop, like the nuclear option, I guess. So that that seems um, you know unimpeachable, isn't it? That that seems like it'll work. <laughs> okay, yeah that that makes that makes extra sense because um, this reputation thing's really cool, and um, and it kind of leads to something else I wanted to to ask you guys about, which is the special ops um, SageNet and Argus. Yeah, so so basically SageNet is something that really <clears throat> we haven't really begun any work on that at all, besides you know tossing around ideas once in a while. Um, it's basically what it is for, for those who, who don't know. It's basically, it's like, basically it entails creating sort of a leaderboard system for traders in the system. And then you could basically, if you're a trader who, you know, does really well, um, you could sort of kind of create content. Um, so, you know, if you look at like um, editorials in the Wall Street Times, um, a lot of them are by people who are quote unquote experts who are like, wrong 80% of the time, but they're 20% of the time that they're right, you know, gets them enough credibility to stay in the New York Times. Um, and our bet is that given a world of 6 billion plus people, there's some people who are right significantly more than 20% of the time. And our, our idea is we'd like to give them, you know, a voice. Um, <clears throat> so kind of, you know, reading commentary by people who are actually know what they're talking about. Um, and then the Argus idea is, Basically something, so that's, that's you know, you asked about what we're spending the money on for the crowd. So that's one thing we've, we spent some money on. Um, I think we spent, you know, around around maybe 4000 on it total. And to finish the project, it'll cost around around ten grand. And we kind of estimate that it has like a 20% chance of succeeding. Um, but, the, but the expected value of if it does succeed is, is like significantly worth it to make that ten grand basically a worthwhile investment. Um, and what Argus is, is the idea for, so if you're a reporter and <clears throat> there's, you know, 10 questions that are like, the price of Apple will be above or below X by date Y, um, or, you know, the Giants dot or the, or the, you know, Giants in the Jets game is going to be, have a spread of greater than seven or, or something like that. You, you don't really need to like actually Google each of those individually, um, you could essentially have an AI just basically make API calls and then and then tell you, you know, an aggregate of the API calls and they all agree says that the Dodgers won by or the that the Giants won by by you know six. Um, and it would basically say, you know, do you want to just go with this or do you want to you know look it up yourself? Um, so it basically makes reporting a lot simpler. Um, it does decrease the security model slightly because you know you're you're putting trust in sort of an an AI that's basically aggregating information for you. Um, but the nice thing is, you know, when you have the fallbacks that we just talked about earlier, by having everyone report on everything or, or report on a given event and then the final scenario of, of forking, um, it, it's really not as, as big as an issue as it was with the, the old system. Because um, the old system that, like, didn't really scale didn't have those fallbacks. Um, so it was kind of, you know, you're, you're really putting your faith in the rep system the first try and that's it you have one shot, you're done. Um, whereas with, when we have these fallbacks, it, it makes me at least a lot more confident in the security model because the final fallback is, you know, trust the market. And that's, that's easy for me to do. 
you mentioned like uh, you're working on scaling right now. Like, what are the other issues that you're you're facing with scaling, and uh, what are the possible solutions to those? Yeah, so there's really two um, things that you kind of have to deal with scaling a system like this. So you have one is um, the reporters. So most most people, when you think of scaling, you think of well, can we do this computation? Do we have enough bandwidth? You know, of Bitcoin. Um, with us, it's like, do we have enough people? Um, because as the system scales, you need actual real people to to do the reporting. Um, and the solution for that is is basically to randomly select people to report. And on events with more volume, basically where you need a higher security model, um, you have more people selected. And so that's that's fairly straightforward to like write on paper. It's a bit more difficult to implement, um, but it's it's mostly spec'd out at this point. Um, the other thing of scaling is like, how do you scale on Ethereum? Where you know, if, so like if I'm writing like a Java program. And I have to do a while loop, so I, I iterate over something, and I do 200 operations. That's nothing, right? My computer does it in like, um, you know, less than a millisecond, and I don't have to think about what computational cost I'm adding there because it's, it's negligible. Um, in Serpent, if I have something like that, that could actually go <laughs> go above the gas limit. Um, and so the solution for, or in Ethereum, and so the solution for something like this is to basically say, well. Um, will lazily evaluate everything. So what that means is instead of, you know, a good example is after an event happens or after a market's closed, um, you basically need to do the payouts. So if you speculated on Bernie and he, he won, then you'd get money. Um, and so the old way of doing this is, you know, well, loop through everything, have one person call the function and everyone will get paid out at the same time. Um, if you have a lot of participants in the market, that doesn't work. So what we do instead is we say we lazy evaluate it. So basically, you know, after Bernie wins, um, the next time you log on to Augur, it'll automatically, uh, the UI basically at this point, will automatically make a call to get your payout, and it'll get the payout just for you. And so it's simple things like that to basically, you know, scale a system so it, it doesn't run into errors where it's getting above the gas limit. How do you find, uh, how do you find working with, uh, with the current... Um the current scheme that uh, the Ethereum is using with the gas limit and the um, and uh, and purchasing gas using uh, using ether, I, I've I really wonder how someone who's using it in, in the way that you are kind of uh, experiences the platform. So I mean, basically, so like one thing that we kind of the gas limit forced us to do is we used to just have like. Um, all of our contracts kind of within within one file, so you could just upload the Augur contract and you would make all the calls to that. Um, but that gets above the gas limit, so now we've separated everything into, into separate files. Um, as like far as like a user experience, um, <clears throat> so like the way I kind of imagine it is if you're a user coming to Augur, um, so one, you might be like a, a crypto geek, you know, like us, and getting Ether just to pay for the gas is no big deal. Um, but, you know, a mainstream audience isn't going to be like that. So basically the way I kind of see it working is maybe a few years from now when this, there's a good stable coin out, um, you know, you pull out your debit card, you buy some, you buy a stable coin X and you get, you know, $1,000 in this stable coin. And then you send it to Augur. And on Augur, um, Let's say you want to buy, you know, ten dollars worth of Bernie Sanders. 
you basically just do that. You buy ten dollars worth of Bernie Sanders, and Augur in the back end automatically converts however much stablecoin it needs to cover the gas costs, and it would pull into an exchange like EtherX, which is a decentralized exchange, and it'd say, "Hey, EtherX, you know, I need Y Ether. I have this much stablecoin. Let's do the exchange." It'd get it for the user, and it automatically just covered the gas cost using their stablecoin that they converted to Ether automatically. So that's kind of how I see it working for the end user. Oh, just like on that last point, like, uh, is how, how would uh, Augur, for example, estimate how much gas is required? Or I guess, like, for example, you have those while loops that, that may go on much further than what you're, uh, you'd anticipate, like... I mean, I guess you can like you'd know like the static amount of gas used for certain routines, but um... yeah. So what what the way to the way to approach that is um, so you can simulate a call. So first, what you're going to do is the UI is going to simulate the call to whatever contract you're calling, um, and when you do that, it'll actually tell you how much gas it would use. Um, so first, it'll do that, and then it'll call the contract and you know, say that it needs needs to exchange... Well, first it'll call EtherX and say, I need to exchange this much stablecoin for this much Ether to cover the gas. Um, so it's basically, you know, simulating it first. Um, Tony, uh, is there anything anything you want to cover for this interview? Tons. Um, before we wrap it up. Tons yeah. of yeah. stuff. No, tons of things. Um, well, this is the first interview I've done formally. Uh, you know, I, I prefer podcasts. I've, I did a podcast in the past. I like this format much more than just, you know, answering questions via email or yes, doing that or even on a call with some of the journalists because this is a conversation. And I, I learn a lot from, from Joey and Jack when they do these. And, you know, I always, I, I love it because I, I, nothing makes me happier than to let Joey talk for like 45 minutes because he's great. I learn something new and, uh, you know, it makes me, it makes me just sound smarter because I'm associated with him. But, um, I will say this on the marketing <laughs> side and, um, we're, we're, we're really happy with, with how everything went. And, and, you know, it it was something where when we when we all just came to, down to it and agreed, hey, we our faces need to be known on this project, right? We need credibility is everything, and the team got it, and the team has it, and they have it now. We we don't stray away from you know uh, controversial topics. We we try to take them head head on, um, and it, it's it's paid off, you know. And and it's something where it's good old fashioned business sense, and we're very thankful that the commu- that there were so many in the community that wanted to support what we're doing. And and I have friends that I, I'm still in Atlanta that you know recently let go for BitPay. I had one of them come up to me and go, you know, I, I bought some I bought some wrap. I'm like, oh, that's awesome, thank you. And and then you realize that it's not just your friends. There's there's people you know in countries that are you know you never even thought of that are supporting this. So. It, it it's cool and we want to let everyone know that we're doing everything we, the best in our ability to make sure this happens to make sure that it's done to the, to the best possible way it, it can be done and that you the money that you are contributing to this even though you obviously will be a, a, a participant the central participant in the in the project as a rep holder um it, it's going to go to good use you, you know you're not going to see wasteful things happening um the team exploding and a lot of little side things happening that are really directing attention away from what we really want to do and build. Um, and as from our and from a marketing end, I would say uh, this is probably the first like marketing campaign that was based around an app or any I should say you know a higher development project for Ethereum. And I'm hoping that others that have really cool ideas 
And one of them I'll, I'll name drop is Dynamis. I'm, I find them interesting. And um, I'm hoping they kind of see what we did, what we did right, and what we did wrong. And, um, you know, and, and kind of perfect on that. And, and mm-hmm. George from the Ethereum team even said, when all projects ask them about marketing, they say, do exactly what Augur is doing. So I'm like, well, that's, that was very ha- f- just humbling and flattering. And, uh, and to, to one or two people who have said, do you plan to match the, uh, the, the advertising budgets of DraftKings and that other one? I, I want to know that will never happen. Um, that, that's ridiculous. And, um, yeah, that, that's just, no, if that, if that other happens, I would, I would be shocked because uh, with, especially with all the, the, the turmoil they're going through, um, the, that's not, that's not Augur. The, this is a, this is a decentralized project. This is not some business like that. Are you guys working on a responsive layout for your, your front end? Yeah. So the front end, um, so the main problem with the front end before was that it, it made a bunch of calls to the Ethereum. Um, which got really expensive, so it's in the process of being migrated over to um, to use basically IPFS to just store all the market data um, in like a cache. So you'll be able to get it, you know, in a couple of seconds instead of like thirty. Um, and so that's that's like one of the things. One of the other things we're looking to do with the UI is um, once it's implemented in the back end, add in a, a standard limit order system as well. Um, so you can process your trades, you know, through a regular limit order or through the market maker. And it'd be in your advantage to go through whatever has the better price, obviously. Cool. Well, um, thanks for joining us, guys. And um, I suppose uh, I look forward to speaking with maybe in a little bit to see how, uh, how things have progressed. Yeah, sounds good. And uh, don't forget, go to auger.net. And uh, our Twitter handle is augerproject. That's our, their most active social channel, but we're on all the rest too. So uh, just follow us and GitHub slash Augur Project. Thank you again, Joey and Tony. Jared Hope and myself, Arthur Falls, on production and editing. Show notes, credits, and links can be found on Twitter at EtherReview. We can also be reached at contact at etherreview.info. Before we go, though, I'd like to shout out to anyone with web design nows. The Ether Review needs a basic landing page. Nothing fancy, just something to get a podcast feed from and maybe discus integration. If you think you might be able to help with this, please email contact at etherreview.info. I'll see you guys next week.